Hello and welcome to this MCA podcast on industrial strategy. My name is Alan Lehman. Uh, just a few days ago, following shortly after the Chancellor's budget, Greg Clark, the UK Business Secretary, published his industrial strategy white paper, Building a Britain Fit for the Future, itself the fruit of many months of consultation following an earlier green paper. Now, many people said that just getting the document published, all 250 pages, was an achievement in itself, particularly for a party that has often turned away from ideas of government intervention in a market economy. Others noted that this paper, with its mix of aspirations, spending commitments and policy announcements, now constitutes a major part of the government's domestic policy agenda. And although it follows in a tradition of similar initiatives from previous Secretaries of State Michael Heseltine, Peter Mandelson and Vince Cable, this paper, with its five foundations of productivity and four grand challenges, is clearly aimed at providing a framework for UK economic policy way beyond this particular government. And everyone can see, of course, that the backdrop of difficult Brexit negotiations and lower growth forecasts only make this both more urgent and more complex. So I'm delighted that with me to discuss this topic, we have three experts. Yale Selfin is Chief Economist at KPMG. Greg Bradley is Head of Business Advisory at Arcadis. And Paul Connolly is Director of the MCA's Think Tank. Welcome to you all. Perhaps I could start with you, Yale. Uh, consultancies will play a major role in turning these ideas into a reality. What, what are your general impressions of the white paper? And what role do you feel that it's playing in the development of policy now? And indeed, how important is it that we have something called an industrial strategy? So, I mean, I think industrial strategy, start backwards, if you like, industrial strategy is a name. Um, it's probably a different type of industrial strategy to what we traditionally used to be used to. Um, it is much more focusing on the major drivers of growth rather than on specific industries, although we did hear a little bit about specific industries as well. So, uh, it is if you like, a strategy paper for the government. And in, in, as such, I think it is welcome because it is quite coherent. It is quite um, a good way to start the road for uh, improving UK uh, productivity and improving UK performance overall. So it's relatively comprehensive while focused on the key issues. Good side. Great. Uh, so, Greg, um, you're working at Arcadis. How did the white paper strike you from your firm's perspective? And do you, as it were, recognise the themes and challenges that it describes for the UK economy? Yeah, well, I think our, our view is that it's, it is very welcome. Uh, we think it's good to have a positive and ambitious articulation of the art of the possible. Um, I mean, if you look at the context in which it's been published, we've got unprecedented levels of investment in infrastructure across transportation, energy, the need for house building, the national infrastructure pipeline. I mean, it is just a colossal period of investment. So to have uh, some overarching themes around, well, how can we actually deliver what's required? Uh, we need to do things differently if we're going to be efficient and effective. So I think to lay something out that's positive, looking at uh, new ideas, innovation, digital, 
uh, and trying to provide a catalyst for us all to get behind that, I think is very welcome. Uh, so that, that would be our mm -hmm. view. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. So Paul, turning to you, how, how, how have you responded to this white paper? Perhaps how much of a contrast does it present to the green paper that we had earlier in the year? Well, I think, Alan, perhaps in contrast to our other guests, um, it's the Christmas season, we are here on Cornhill, and uh, we're probably on almost exactly the location that Dickens had in mind for the offices of Scrooge and Marley. So I'm probably going to be slightly more bar humbuggish about the, uh, uh, the white paper than they've been. I mean, clearly it is an improvement on the, the green paper, and not just because it's got nicer pictures and a better layout. One of the things we asked for uh, when we followed the green paper with our own uh, work that uh, uh, Yale helped to launch, which was the New Economy 2020 and Beyond report, which was very well received, was that a focus on a smaller number of priorities would be very welcome, and it certainly does that. I think my concern relates to the implications of that focus. Um, Yale will be able to talk more eloquently than I can about artificial intelligence, but I think the link between a focus on that and what kind of labour market we would need in order to make that work is still a little creaky in the report. There's an emphasis on the need for uh, STEM skills, all very welcome, but actually what uh, leaders in that area tell us is that they'll also need very creative people, implying that what's needed is a real overhaul of our education system, not just some targets for attainment in a particular area. The emphasis on infrastructure, which I'm sure Greg will talk more about, is extremely welcome. But for what? How purposive will it be? What will it do to the shape of the UK economy? One area where I think the white paper is very well intentioned and something that our members have emphasised is in its focus on regional development. One of the clear signals of the Brexit vote was that certain parts of the UK feel disempowered. They feel disengaged from the UK's economic model and the white paper's emphasis on that is welcome. But again, probably not radical enough in terms of the fiscal and administrative devolution model that it proposes in order really to reach out and create economic opportunity in the region. So uh, I, I think this is a continuing and evolving journey. It is a better step than the green paper, but still a curate's egg. And I suppose one of the challenges for anybody drawing up this sort of paper is that people want it to be very strategic and long-term, <clears throat> but they also want it to be very specific and here and now because that's how we think as, as citizens and as economic uh, players in the economic situation. So um, uh, thank you very much for those opening uh, thoughts, but let's dive into some of the detail and some of, the, some of those specifics. So Greg, from your point of view, uh, I think this government quite effectively has highlighted the importance of the infrastructure agenda. It's created a commission with, with Andrew Adonis at its head to raise the profile and to deliver some of that. Looking at the industrial strategy's contribution, how much difference do you think the ambitions that are set out there can make? Well, I think the, I mean, the National Infrastructure Pipeline, if you look at it, uh, it calls for uh, investment at a level that we've never actually been able to deliver before. Uh, when we looked at it, it equates to delivering investment equating to £95,000 every single minute. <laughs> 
The workforce that's required to deliver that, again, if you set Brexit to one side, just in terms of capacity of workforce, we need to hire a new worker every 77 seconds. So when you look at some of those stats and figures, clearly we need to do something differently. So I think that the fact that we've had the National Infrastructure Commission, the National Infrastructure Pipeline, we've got different industry enablers in play. So things like the Rail Delivery Group as a coordinating body for the railway sector. We've got combined authorities trying to give a focus, perhaps Paul, to your point around the, the city agenda. And we've also tried different things like accelerators through catapults and so on. I think it's now time for a step change. The question is, how do we do it? Because there's so much to do and so many different points of view. So I think that having this framework that everybody can unite behind is very helpful. So I think what we need to do, Alan, is I think perhaps for, particularly for regulated sectors, um, off what, off GEM, ORR, CAA, the different regulatory bodies who can actually make things happen in terms of setting expenditure levels, expenditure allowances, and also the incentives around those different programs. If we can get those aligned towards some of the themes that are called out in this paper, I think that'll make a massive difference. So and I guess to your point, that's where it'll become very real and it'll become very tangible and very specific, and that's what we need. And do you think it can play a big part in the productivity? Because clearly one of the drivers and the motivating forces behind this paper and indeed the, the, the Chancellor's developing economic policy is the realisation that our productivity performance is not good. Mm. Uh, how big a role do you think infrastructure is going to play in um, improving the UK's competitiveness and, and productivity? Well, so, I mean, there's a few things with that. So, because uh, infrastructure covers a, a lot of different asset classes, doesn't it? So, uh, definitely, transportation and mobility is key. Um, so, and again, we, we've covered it: the investment in rail, investment in roads, and so on. So that there is that connectivity for the country is very welcome, especially high-speed services. I mean, in in this paper, it also calls out the investment in digital from a from a broadband perspective. So investment, broadband, Wi-Fi, all of that enablement. I think infrastructure is, is an enabler for all the things that we want to do. So I think that's all positive. I think the bit that we need to get right is the skills mix. So we, we just need to really get the right focus around planning what work we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how we're going to execute on it. Some of the things around use of data and analytics. Who's going to do it? Where are we going to do it? Do we need to do it all in the UK? It could be opportunity perhaps for use of offshore resources or we can import some of that knowledge from, from elsewhere because this is all about productivity and getting things done and delivered. So what's the quickest way to do it? And I think that's what we need to look at. Thanks. So, yeah, developing that thought perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, um, not, only, not only did the government decide to launch this white paper on the day that um, Prince Harry announced his engagement, um, <laughs> which wasn't perhaps the most the most auspicious time to do it. But it, it followed the days after the OBR produced its reduced forecast for economic growth for the period, which which really brought everybody up a bit short. I think about the prospects for the UK economy. So this strategy, by contrast, is perhaps a bit more optimistic. It's saying. We can develop AI and automation capabilities. We can develop our research, science, and innovation capacity. Um, 
The UK is already doing a lot in those areas and doing a lot in to digitize itself, but that doesn't seem to be flowing through into productivity improvements. What's your take on how the relationship between technology, new developments, AI, and the mix of skills they demand is going to play out in productivity terms? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just to continue on, on the things that Greg was just saying, I think part of it is being able to develop new industries or, or grow industries that will be based around this new technology, but a big part of it is actually embedding the new technologies into the rest of the economy. And that's really where the big ask and the big challenge is, because ultimately the UK is um, an economy that is primarily dominated more by services, and that's really where our strength is. And there's a lot in the industrial strategy on, on manufacturing, different types of manufacturing, not that much on, on services, and also to Paul's very, very uh, good um, comments earlier on in terms of the skills and the the skills that we would need, it will not just be STEMs, it will just be, it will be creative and it will be other skills that we will need for other parts of the economy that will be able to embed and use that technology better. Mm -hmm. And do you think that AI is a good bet? I mean, we're, we're up against China, I mean, perhaps Trump's America is leaving it all to Silicon Valley, but um, certainly a lot of the emerging economies are wanting to play big in the AI space. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's potentially what the government was trying to avoid to start with, which is picking champions and, and industrial champion and, and supporting them. And I'd say it's very difficult to tell. I think we have good stuff in the UK. Uh, we have good brains. We have good um, governance of rule of law, etc., etc., and quite a lot of things that the industrial strategy highlights. But at the same time, we may not be as competitive, at least in certain areas, that it may, more, more, may make more sense to offshore and bringing. Um, I'm not sure, I don't think we want to do a Brazil in terms of input substitution policies. This is not an input substitution policy mm -hmm. or, or industrial strategy really. This, I don't think this is what the government intended and, and it's not necessarily what we would want to do. So it's very much trying to pick the best things that the UK can do and try and back them and support them. So there's no harm in that, provided we can be, that's a crucial bit, internationally competitive in them. Great. So, Paul, um, you put together with colleagues a, a submission to this process, the New Economy 2020 and beyond, in response to the, the Green Paper, arguing that we really did need a transformational approach to industrial and economic policy, particularly, I, I think, in the context of uh, Brexit and our future outside the EU. Does the paper measure up for you on that front and does it start to paint a picture of what sort of economy we wish to be after Brexit? Well actually Alan I think the white paper is curiously silent about Brexit. The foreword from uh, Greg Clark and from the Prime Minister mentions our imminent departure from the European Union and there's a chapter at the end about uh, Britain's uh, position in the world and there are lots of pretty pictures of uh, the 2012 Olympics and the global dimension that the UK plays. But actually, if you were looking for an excuse to absent yourself from the controversies around Brexit, a focus on domestic productivity might be the way to do that. But it would be perhaps a misleading way to do it, both 
Greg and Yale have mentioned the fact that some of our productivity plays will relate to our position in global value chains. Decisions to offshore, decisions to onshore, decisions to uh, work with overseas uh, competitors and co-creators of value. And I think one of the things that was central to our response to both the industrial strategy and Brexit is that the UK's current economic model is inherently globalised. There is very little compared to Germany and Japan that we make wholly ourselves that the rest of the world wants to buy. But we are embedded in global value chains. We make components for German cars. We provide IoT or cyber security advice for firms in Italy and France. Greg's firm works on the value chain right across the infrastructure space globally. And if, if the white paper's perspective on uh, Brexit doesn't become clearer in uh, the implementation phase, we'll miss a trick because plainly that value chain positioning is jeopardized by Brexit. Now, the, uh, the Secretary of State needs to take a position on that, presumably one in relation to a preference for a softer Brexit, to say how those value chains will be protected and how the initiatives, the welcome initiatives that the White Paper focuses on, will strengthen them, complement them, be additions to them. Because at the moment, this has the danger of feeling like we're doing Brexit and as a result of that, there'll be certain babies thrown out with the bathwater. Here's an alternative way of doing things that we may have to build up from scratch, like a wholly autarkic approach to AI and, uh, and uh, autonomous vehicles. Well, good luck with that. And to Yale's point about this is a service economy, uh, very, very, very predominantly a services economy, uh, and there's something about the very term industrial strategy which defaults people back to thinking about manufacturing and more traditional forms of earning our way in the world. I mean, has, has, has the, the thinking in the paper got beyond that to, to embrace this new world of services as much as perhaps we would like it to? I don't think it, it, it does necessarily in that sense, though I have to say I rather welcome the fact that there is a thread in this that says that our success in services should be complemented by successes in other areas. I think uh, when uh, we de-industrialized particularly uh, fast in the 1980s, the regeneration of hitherto industrial areas in the north of England, in the Midlands, and in the northeast perhaps had too much of a service quality to it, a few too many uh, uh, nice new cafes, not enough next generation manufacturers that are using, say, 3D printing rather than traditional manufacturing processes. So I, I think that, that, that emphasis is an important one, but I think it needs to be accompanied by realism that recognises that our current success, our current position as the uh, sixth largest economy in the world on some measures, fifth on others, is entirely dependent upon our ability to embed ourselves in largely service value chains. If we can do extra stuff, you know, become a powerhouse for modern manufacturers and AI, great. But we mustn't uh, jeopardise our already existing successes in the process of doing that. Okay, you're getting lots of nods around the table. To bring this to a close, perhaps, um, strategies are great things to have, policies are great things to have, they require implementation, as we were talking about earlier. Perhaps I could uh, 
just ask you all for one final thought to say, if you were looking for one thing which the government could now do, policymakers could now uh, push forward, that would bring this strategy to life and turn it into a reality for you, what, what would it be? Yeah, I'll start, I'll start with you. So, I mean, I think this is a big vision and, and the key, as you mentioned uh, just now, is in implementation. So having a very strong, coherent and plausible implementation plan is key now. Great, great. Yeah, I, I'd support that. Um, and I'd possibly go a little bit further, actually, and say that what would be very welcome would be if we could have some practical worked examples. So where, where we've done things before, like accelerator programs, could we bring some of this to life, whether it's the smart city or electric vehicles at scale or use of design visualization and Paul's point about 3D printing and analytics and engagement with schools, next generation learning, how to bring the different components in the paper and do it as a proof point. Because I think if we can show here's how it could work and do that quickly, then I think we'll have sustained confidence to stick at it for the next 5, 10, 15 years. To implement the things in the paper will take time. So I think some practical worked examples and proof points now, quickly, in the next six months, uh, if we can, would be really welcome. Because we can see it, we can touch it and feel it, and then we can get behind it with confidence. Thank you. Paul? I think uh, cutting to that sort of implementation chase, one thing that we need is perhaps a little bit more visibility from the Secretary of State. Um, there is a sense that the government has fiefdoms of power that talk about the kind of Brexit that they would want to see. Uh, Boris Johnson can barely adjust the ruffle of his hair without someone interpreting it in Brexit context. Liam Fox can barely blow his nose without his uh, uh, noises being interpreted in a similar way. I don't think that's the case with Greg Clark. He was out and about for the launch of the Green Paper. As you said, Alan, his thunder was rather stolen by uh, the royal wedding announcement. If he's going to go into bat for British business, we have to see a little more of him. We have to hear more about his perspectives on Brexit, the kind of Brexit that he'd like to see. And seeing a little more of him means us seeing a little more of him. We've extended an invitation to, uh, through his officials, to him to come and meet people like Greg and Yale, but also some of the leaders of our multifunctional consulting firms, some of our specialists in a round table. There isn't a single reference to management consulting in the in the industrial strategy white paper. That's a mistake. We're a 10 billion pound industry. We serve all sectors of the economy. We support growth propositions. We see what's really happening at the front line. If he came and listened to us, our members, heard their perspectives, he could perhaps take these very good intentions in the industrial strategy and make a real strategy out of them. Thank you all very much for your thoughts. Uh, I'll just say this is an important document and I think it will deserve and merit a lot of study and, and future debate. And as an association at the MCA, while as you say, Paul, it has little to say about directly about consulting or indeed wider professional services, our member firms are clearly going to make a massive contribution to the success or otherwise of its implementation. And that's why, as you say, we're in contact with the department, uh, urging them to seek more advice and input from our members. 
but also I think importantly to work with us on the development of services and consulting support that implementation will require and we'll report back as soon as possible on their response and how that dialogue will be fostered and taken forward. Uh, meanwhile, it's my great pleasure to thank our guests, Yale from KPMG, Greg from Arcadis and Paul from the home team here at the MCA and to thank you all for listening.